How do you not sprout wings and fly away when things get hard? Because that's a real temptation, isn't it? We'll see that today with Paul and all that he endured in his ministry. So turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. If you want to know how to endure trials and suffering and troubles and hardships, then you must feel your need of the Holy Spirit. If you want to know how to endure difficult seasons of life and parenting and marriage and ministry, then you need the Holy Spirit. If you want to not just give up and quit when things get tough in your marriage, in your family, in your church, in your Bible study, in your dorm room, in your Sunday school class, in your small group, then you need the power that comes from God. If you want to keep from going crazy and losing your mind, you guessed it, and you need the Holy Spirit. You have to learn the secret of simply crying out four words. Help me, Holy Spirit. Help me, Holy Spirit. Help me, Holy Spirit. As you go into a meeting that you dread, help me, Holy Spirit. As you're dealing with family difficulties, help me, Holy Spirit. I say this to my kids all the time. I said it this week. I told them, I hope you say these words one million times before you die. Help me, Holy Spirit. It's a very simple prayer to pray. It's just four words but it brings power. And isn't that just like our God? He makes it easy for us. It's like he gives us a little soft lob. He's like, you can hit this, come on. He makes it easy for us. Just utter four very simple words and the unlimited, uninhibited, you can't stop this power of God comes rushing in to help us. So isn't that just like our God? Just utter four words, six syllables is all, and the power of the Trinitarian God comes rushing in like a hurricane. Simple, but true. Simple, yes, but it just might save your life to pray this prayer, and it just might keep you from quitting and giving up. It might keep you from despairing of life like the Apostle Paul that one time when he almost gave up, we read about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. He just despaired of life. Listen, that's the secret sauce, Grace, right there. That's the secret sauce. And that's what lies behind what Paul will talk about in our passage today. Paul is going to tell us what ministry was like for him. It was hard. It was stressful. It was overwhelming. I personally think... This is just my opinion, okay? I personally think that Paul most likely suffered from some form of PTSD. We read about what he went through in Acts. Like, how did that guy keep it all together? Pastoral ministry was not a walk in the park for the Apostle Paul. It was not easy peasy lemon squeezy. And it was not winner winner chicken dinner. And after reading the passage that we'll look at today, you just might scratch your head and wonder, how in the world did Paul not just quit pastoral ministry altogether? How did he keep going after 
all of the suffering that he experienced, the lies, the slander, the backstabbing, the PTSD. How in the world did he keep going? How in the world did he endure? And you'll know his secret because it's right in the middle of our passage today. You'll know the secret sauce to ministry endurance is remembering this truth. The Holy Spirit is smack dab in the middle of every paragraph of your life. Whatever chapter of your life you're in, whatever page you're on in whatever chapter of life you're in, the Holy Spirit is smack dab in the middle of every single paragraph of the story of your life. Whatever you're going through, the Spirit is right there with you. Whatever chapter you're in, the Spirit is smack dab in the middle of every paragraph on every page. And so he's with you right now as you suffer, as you reach your wit's end, as you pace the floor, as you bite your nails, as you toss and turn in bed at night, as you just want to pull your hair out, and as you just want to scream at the top of your lungs. And that's the hope that awaits us in our passage today. And maybe that's just what your heart needs today. So 2 Corinthians chapter 6 Look at verse 4 and hear the word of the Lord. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. So first notice how Paul describes himself and his ministry friends. He says, we are servants of God. Now, it's very easy to just read over that phrase, but it is the key to understanding the following verses. Paul is a servant of God. It's why he is suffering. It's why everything that he's enduring in his life, he's enduring because he believes in Jesus and he's a servant of God. He's a servant of God which means he's not out to make a name for himself or have people praise or compliment him. He's in ministry for God's glory alone. And because he is a servant of God, ministry is often difficult. In verses 4 through 10, Paul is going to give the Corinthian church a picture of what new covenant ministry is like. The good, the bad, and the ugly. The PTSD, the trauma, the drama, the dark night of the soul, all of it. And so what enables Paul to endure all that he suffers? It's that central promise of Scripture, I am with you, Emmanuel. Paul and company company continually preach that truth to their hearts, that God is with them. And that's what Paul means when he says they commend themselves in everything that they experience. The word commend is a Greek word which means to place together or to combine. In his excellent commentary on 2 Corinthians, Murray Harris says that this word came to mean to bring together as friends. And so what does Paul mean when he says that he and his ministry friends and ministry partners commend themselves? Here's what I think Paul is saying. As servants of God, we bring together our thoughts and emotions in everything that we experience in ministry. In other words, I don't let my thoughts run wild. I don't let my emotions run wild. I kind of bring them all in. 
And Paul's about to spell out all that he endured in ministry. So how does he endure all of these ministry hardships? He brings together his thoughts. I think that's what he's saying here. He brings together his emotions. He stewards his thoughts and emotions. He doesn't let them run wild. And isn't that easy to do when you're suffering? Your brain just goes places, right? Your, your emotions, your feelings, what's happening in your heart is just get stirred up when you're suffering and going through hardships and trouble and trials. Your thoughts just run wild, don't they? Man, you can be thinking like, why didn't she say hi to me at church? She doesn't like me. And all of a sudden you're like, I'm leaving church and I'm going over there. Just because someone didn't say hi to you, maybe they didn't see you. You see how our thoughts just, our thoughts run wild when we suffer. How easy it is it for us to let our thoughts and emotions run wild as we experience hardship and relational strains, etc. And so Paul says here, I bring all these things together. I bring together my thoughts. And I would also say that he brings together his theology He remembers what he believes. He rehearses the gospel. He talks to himself, if you will. I think if you saw Paul walking in the marketplace, he would be one of those guys like, yeah, like that dude was hit with rocks too many times. He's just probably talking to himself all the time. If you read what he suffered, you're like, man, Paul would agree with Paul Tripp who said this, No one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. You are in an unending conversation with yourself. You are talking to yourself all the time, interpreting, organizing, and analyzing what's going inside you and around you. You are constantly involved in an internal conversation that greatly influences the things you decide, say, and do. What do you regularly tell yourself about yourself, God, and your circumstances? Do your words to yourself encourage faith, hope, and courage? Or do they stimulate doubt, discouragement, and fear? Do you remind yourself that God is near? Or do you reason with yourself that given your circumstances, he must be distant? Here's the question. How wholesome faith-driven, and Christ-centered is the conversation that you have with yourself every day? Do you remind yourself of your need? Do you point yourself once again to the beauty and practicality of God's grace? Do you tell yourself to run toward Him in those moments when you feel like running from Him? No one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. How well are you counseling yourself? I think that's what Paul is saying here. He brings together his thoughts. He brings together his emotions and everything that happens to him. And he preaches God's truth to them. He brings together his thoughts and emotions. And he tells them, Mr. Thoughts and Mrs. Emotions, sit down. I have brought you together here today because I want to tell you about my God. Uh Uh-uh, don't say a word. Shh. I said, be quiet. Now, you're going to sit there and be quiet and listen as I tell you about my Lord. That's what Paul is saying. He talks to himself all the time about who God is in everything that he suffers. And the word commend here is a present active participle in Greek. 
It means Paul is always bringing together the truth of God's word, always pulling together his theology and letting his theology school his thoughts and emotions. That's why he didn't give up. That's how he endured all that he talks about in this paragraph. In every way, in everything that happened in his life and in his ministry, Paul was constantly rehearsing his theology, rehearsing his beliefs, rehearsing what he believed about God. So understand this, Grace. We have to learn to steward our emotions and steward our thoughts as we suffer. We know we're going to have thoughts. We know we're going to have feelings and emotions as we suffer. suffer, So we're going to have to steward them. We're going to have to take our thoughts and emotions and preach truth to them. Because what we do with our thoughts and emotions when we suffer, when we go through trials and hardships... What we do with them will determine the course of our life. And you steward those thoughts and emotions by bringing together your theology and your beliefs, bringing together God's word, his promises, and letting them school your thoughts and emotions about what is really true in your life. We give our own thoughts and emotions a lot of weight, don't we? Oh, how I'm feeling. It's more sovereign than God's word. What I'm thinking is happening in my world is it's more sovereign than God's word. That's silly, isn't it? And yet we all do it, don't we? And that's why Paul didn't quit when things got hard. And boy, let me tell you, things got hard with Paul. He suffered a lot. Look at verse 4. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. Now you can't see it clearly in English, but the Greek sets up uh, the phrase by great endurance as a heading to these following nine phrases. The word endurance is singular. It's modified and qualified by the word great. And in contrast to that singular word endurance, you have these nine descriptions which are all plural. And they show us then that great endurance kind of serves as the heading for these nine phrases that Paul experiences. So this is how Paul goes through each of these nine things. He goes through it by great endurance. It's an endurance that's not created within Paul himself, but obviously comes from the Holy Spirit. I mean, how in the world do any of us endure the hardships in this life? Cancer, family issues, work issues, etc. How in the world do we endure There's only one answer. It's the Holy Spirit. Notice that it's a great endurance. That's what it takes to endure life's sufferings. The late John Stott, one of the greatest expositors of our time, said this about enduring the hardships of ministry and the ever-constant temptation to just quit. And just let me tell you, every pastor wants to quit Sunday afternoon. They're like... That sermon was terrible. Oh my gosh. You know, and you, you get up Monday morning, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to quit. I mean, I'm a terrible preacher. Oh, it didn't make sense. You know, that's what you feel. You can't, I can't make any major decision, at least until Tuesday. I leave every week thinking, man, that sermon stunk. Ugh. 
Here's what John Stott said about the ever-constant temptation to just quit. He said, well, the first temptation to which I'm more exposed, I think, is to run away. Not to give in, but to, what is the word, to leave. I sometimes say my favorite text is from Psalm 55. Oh, for the wings of a dove that I may flee away and be at rest. So I've found this constant controversy, this constant battling for, this tr- for the truth very wearying. It is wearying to keep talking to ourselves when life is hard, isn't it? What a temptation it is to just quit or run away when ministry gets hard. And listen, if you've ever served in any kind of ministry, you know the temptation because ministry is demanding no matter what you do. If you're teaching a Sunday school class, serving in Awana, going and helping someone clean up their yard, whatever, it's demanding, it's tiring. I mean, week after week, you work hard all day and then you got to go and you got to go serve people and you're worn out and people can be ungrateful, right? You ever done that? Served someone, spent hours serving, and you leave, and they don't even say thank you. And you're like, I'm never going to do that. People can be ungrateful, and people can be mean, can't they? You may serve unnoticed and not receive any recognition or thanks for your hard work, and the temptation to quit is always knocking on the door of your heart. Or think how easy it is to just quit a church family when things get hard. Maybe you don't get your preferences met. Maybe you don't like the music. That never happens in the church, does it? Or maybe you don't like the preaching. That happens. Or maybe you don't like the grape juice your church uses for communion. I don't like Welch's. Do you have Kirkland? I'm a Costco man through and through. Or maybe people bother you. That does happen in churches, right? Some of you just thought about a person in this church that really bothers you. There's grace for that too, by the way. Sometimes decisions are made by church leaders that you don't like. And boy, did churches see this all over the world during COVID. Man, it was every, everywhere, Twitter, Instagram, wherever you went, pastors were like, what the heck? What's going on? Like, I walked with this person through this, and they just left over this or over that? Listen, nobody in leadership, whether in a church or any sort of business, could win in 2020. It didn't matter what decision you made. You instantly made half of your people angry. And so we saw this all through 2020 with COVID. And if you've ever been a part of a church family for very long and things got difficult, then you surely know the temptation to just pick up and leave, right? Like John Stott said, the temptation is always there to just grow wings like the dove of Psalm 55 and fly away from it all. And churches all over the world saw this in 2020. People upset at their church, church leadership, and then they just flew away. Now, there are times, of course, when you may need to step down or leave. If a church teaches false theology or quits preaching the gospel or does something that clearly goes against God's word, etc., I'm not talking about those. You should leave a church gracefully if they quit preaching the gospel, etc. But there are times to leave or to step down, like we celebrated the Scamfer's retirement last week, right? That's the time we weren't going to say, you got to keep going. Do you have 10 more years in you? No, we want to celebrate that. 
I know for me personally, there are times when I've guilt myself into staying too long, doing a ministry when I feel like maybe I should step down and another person should take over for whatever it is, and you just kind of guilt, and you take more on your plate and more on your plate because you feel guilty. Anybody ever feel that way? Or then there's times where it's just so easy to quit easily, right? You're like, you start to serve in a ministry, and you're like, oh, no, I'm done. That person didn't like me, whatever. Today, I'm talking about those times that probably aren't justified biblically, like when we feel sorry for ourselves or we feel neglected and get our feelings hurt or we don't like the music or we don't like the preaching and we don't get our way and we just pick up and leave. Listen, in order to not grow wings and fly away, you really do have to keep your eyes on Jesus. You have to talk to yourself. You have to bring together your thoughts and emotions and introduce them to your theology and introduce them to your Savior Jesus. You have to let God's word school your fickle heart. I think that's what Paul is saying here. He commends himself in every way. And so Paul gives us 28 descriptions of ministry here, 28 in the Greek text. The first 18 are introduced by the word in. The next three are introduced by the word through, and then the final seven are introduced by the word as. Now, let me show you a picture of the Greek text so that you can see the first 18. That little word that's circled in the blue is the word in, and that Greek word in means in, okay? They made it easy for us. And then that's the Holy Spirit over there circled in green, pneumati hagio, okay? The first... There are three sets of three, afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. Chrysostom called these three sets, these nine words, a blizzard of troubles. How's that for a description of pastoral ministry? Welcome to ministry, son. We like to refer to pastoring in these parts as a blizzard of troubles. Listen, ministry is not always like that. Sometimes it is. So let's look briefly at these blizzard of troubles that Paul was patiently enduring. First, in afflictions, in hardships, in calamities. These three come into your life simply because you serve Jesus, because you're a servant of God like Paul is, because you're a disciple. Afflictions refers to all the pressures and tribulations and troubles that we experience in life and in ministry and in the church. And hardships is this, has, is this word that has the idea of kind of being confined into a place, a narrow space, kind of boxed into a corner, nowhere to go. It's like spiritual claustrophobia. And then calamities, well, they're just calamities. The Greek word is anagkais. That sounds bad enough, doesn't it? What have, you been in, what have you been enduring, Paul? Oh, I have a bad case of anagkais. Listen, you have to know that these three are part and parcel of ministry. And they're part and parcel of following Jesus as a disciple. This is discipleship 101. When Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, he was saying, take up your cross and follow me in afflictions, in hardships, in calamities. In fact, these three are part and parcel of what it means to belong to a church family. And if you don't understand this, then you will be unnecessarily disappointed. Listen, let me tell you, if you're new to grace, we're sinners here. We will let you down. 
we will hurt you. We won't do it on purpose, or we shouldn't. We're sinners. We might. But we'll let you down. We won't meet your needs or your expectations. So you need to know that now, or you will be unnecessarily disappointed. We're not perfect here, and we don't claim to be. If you don't understand that these three are what it means to be a disciple, then you might even quit following Jesus as a disciple. You might quit serving people in your local church, quit following the Lord, and deconstruct as many people are doing these days. Get on Twitter and you see it. There's a famous pastor whose son is deconstructing on TikTok now, and people are loving it and resonating with it, and like, oh, maybe I should second-guess Jesus and second-guess his word and second-guess the church. Again, the church, the church can abuse and hurt people. That happens. But people forget that this is discipleship, and therefore when it gets hard, they just want to deconstruct and completely walk away, quit church altogether, which happened in a lot of churches all over the world too. Just people saying, I'm not going to church anymore. Well, the next trio are in beatings, in imprisonments, in riots. These three are brought on by other people. We don't see this so much in our day, but we might soon. And that's another reason to be involved in a church family. Another reason to stick your nose in the Bible. Because persecution just may come our way. You've heard me say it many times before, but if you love Jesus with all your heart, people will hate you with all their guts. This was certainly the norm for Paul and company. You just read the book of Acts and you see the intense suffering that Paul endured. The last trio there are in labors, in sleepless nights, in hunger. These three are brought on by you, meaning these trouble Troubles came to Paul as he willingly worked to exhaustion in ministry and as he went without sleep to serve others, as he skipped meals in order to minister to other people. And so when you take these nine words and you kind of wrap them up tight like a chipotle burrito and then you add some weak sauce to it, you are weak sauce, by the way, and so am I. When you do that, then you begin to realize that you can't do life and ministry on your own, that you need grace and you need the Holy Spirit. So when you are under the weight of life and you're suffering and there's hardships and calamities and stress and hunger and fatigue and exhaustion and you feel like you're confined to a narrow space and you're cornered in by life and you just can't go on, well, guess what? You just can't go on. You can't go on in your own strength. You need the Spirit. So Paul would tell you this morning, if you want to be able to endure life and ministry and church and family and work, etc., etc., then you need to pray, help me, Holy Spirit. And you pray that in faith, trusting and knowing with hope that the Holy Spirit is smack dab in the middle of every paragraph of your life. That's the secret sauce to ministry right there. Whether you're teaching a Sunday school class of first graders or serving coffee or playing guitar in the worship team, the Holy Spirit is with you. And you learn to pray, Holy Spirit, help me. It's the secret to enduring greatly. 
simple, yes, but sometimes hard to do because we're so self-sufficient and stubborn, aren't we? But what's the alternative? Swagger? Ego? Tell me, how in the world will swagger get you through what Paul describes in these verses? How in the world will ego carry you through this kind of suffering? It won't. It can't. Only the Holy Spirit can. Jesus said in John's gospel that he would send the Holy Spirit and he gave him the nickname, the Helper. Notice Jesus did not call the Spirit the ego booster or the swagger activator. He's the Helper and he loves helping weak sauce people who call out to him. And so the secret sauce to life and ministry endurance is admitting that you are weak sauce. Well, Paul will now move on to give us more insight into his ministry. When you get to the end of this list with all the hardships listed and all the paradoxes of ministry spelled out, you should get to the end of verse 10 and say, it wasn't swagger that got Paul through. It wasn't his giftings. It wasn't his ego. It was the Holy Spirit. It was the helper. Look at verse 6. By purity, knowledge, Patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love by truthful speech and the power of God. With the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as imposters and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Verses 6 through 10 further highlight the evidence of God's grace in Paul's life. This whole list of what ministry was like for Paul and his friends and how they responded in ministry shows us the means by which they endured these trials. And it was the Holy Spirit, the power of God. You see it in the text. You see, well, you can't see it there because it's Greek. But you can see the Holy Spirit, can't you? <laughs> There's the Spirit. In the middle of all those ends, you have the Spirit saying, I'm here. I'm here. You can look around and see all that you're in, but you got to come back to the center. I am here. There's the Spirit smack dab in the middle of this paragraph of Paul's life. The Spirit is the one who empowered Paul through all of the paradoxes of ministry that he lists in verses 8 through 10. And so in your Bibles, circle and then connect those phrases. By great endurance, circle that, then circle the Holy Spirit, and then circle the power of God, and then draw a line connecting those three. That's the secret sauce right there. Ministry was not easy for Paul. Ministry is tough. Whether you're a pastor or you just teach Sunday school every week, it's hard work. As my wife Heather is fond of saying, ministry is not for the faint of heart. It's not. It's a lot of 2 Corinthians 6 kind of stuff. It's not all of that, but it is that. 
And so in contrast to the triumphalism being peddled by the super apostles, remember the false teachers that had invaded the church of Corinth? We'll talk about it more when we get to chapter 10. But they were peddling this Christian triumphalism where everything was easy peasy lemon squeezy, where you didn't suffer. And so they're saying, if Paul is suffering so much like this, he must not be a true apostle. And Paul, that's why Paul is telling the Corinthians while he'll tell them again with another list in chapter 11, being a true apostle means you suffer. Being a disciple means you, you suffer. So he's putting this list here to kind of poke the super apostles and say, this is Christianity. He's trying to poke the balloon of their triumphalism in contrast to what they were telling the Corinthians. Paul wants this church that he planted to know that to be a disciple of Jesus entails a constant pattern of suffering and hardship. But just like in this paragraph, in the middle of hardships, the Spirit is there. What hope? The Spirit is there. The power of God is there. How kind of the Holy Spirit to help weak sauce Christians like us. How kind of him. He just keeps coming back. We're like, oh, eh. he's like, come on, let me help you. He never gets tired of that. Man, I moan and mope all the time to the Lord. He's never once said, oh, could somebody else do this today? I need a break from this kid. Never. The Holy Spirit is always like, you need help? Oh, come on, let me help you. Let's go. We can do this. Come on, come on. How kind of him to do that for us when we just smoke. Maybe that's the groans that Paul is talking about. Listen, when you suffer, the spirit is there. In the middle of the paradoxes of life and ministry, the spirit is there. When you're called an imposter, when you're dishonored, when you're slandered, when you're lied about, the spirit is there. Maybe you're in the middle of verses 4 through 7 today. Or maybe you're in the middle of verses 8 through 10. Or maybe you're in the middle of the entire paragraph, verses 4 through 10. Don't forget you're not alone. The Holy Spirit is right smack dab in the middle of all of it with you. There are paradoxes in the life of a disciple, like dying and yet we live, Paul says. Sorrowful yet rejoicing, having nothing, yet having everything. Being a disciple is simple, yet complex. We can be full of sorrow and rejoice at the same time. We talked last week about laughing more, dancing, just enjoying the Lord, relaxing and just letting go and not being so uptight. And you can do that. And at the same time, you can be grieving and suffering and walking with someone through the darkest place of their life. Or you could be going through that yourself. And so there's a sense in which you can rest and enjoy the Lord and laugh and dance. And then at the same time, be suffering immensely. If you've raised kids, you know this, parents, right? There are seasons of sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. And that's really ministry and church life in a nutshell. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. We are sorrowful because we're grieving the effects of sin and grieving life in a fallen world. And yet we rejoice at all the good things God is doing in our lives and in our church family. It's like C.S. Lewis said, the pain now is part of the happiness then. That's the joy. 
the pain now that we experience in life and church and ministry and family, the pain now is part of the joy then. Part of the reason we will rejoice so much is like, you know what? That stuff is gone and here we are. And that's why 2 Corinthians 6 is in the Bible. 2 Corinthians 6 is in the Bible precisely because we forget that this is what life is really like. We want to buy into the triumphalism being peddled by the super apostles, that life is easy peasy, lemon squeezy, but it's not, is it? If you're like me, you forget that life is hard. Every single time a trial comes into my life, I've forgotten that life is hard because I'm like, why God, why is this happening? Oh. And it can just take like a broken kitchen appliance to take me there. I don't know about you. Why is this happening? If you're like me, you forget that life is hard. And if you're like me, you can easily forget that the Holy Spirit is smack dab in the middle of every paragraph of your life. Christian, you are not alone. You have not been abandoned You have not been ignored no matter what is happening in your life, no matter what paragraph you're in. Jesus loves you. He lived, died, was raised, and ascended to God's right hand where he now serves as your high high priest. And so he's interceding for you as you endure hardships. He's praying for you. He's interceding for you right now. How in the world do you think that you endure? Look back over your life and all the troubles that you went through. How in the world did you endure that? You didn't do it in your own strength. It's because Jesus was praying for you. Because you were on the prayer list of Jesus. He's interceding for you right now. And he forgives you. And he loves you so much that he sent the Holy Spirit as a gift. The helper to help you. Listen, the Holy Spirit is with you today, right now, and he also intercedes for you as we read earlier in Romans 8. You're on the Holy Spirit's prayer list too. How in the world do you think that you endure? The helper is right smack dab in the middle of all that is happening in your life and he wants to help. So, get comfortable uttering these words. Help me, Holy Spirit. Help me, Holy Spirit, help me, Holy Spirit, and he will. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you were so willing to help us. Thank you that you intercede for us with groans that we not only can't put into words, but groans that we really don't know what that verse really means, Lord. We kind of have an idea. But you groan within us and you pray and intercede for us, Holy Spirit. And you're here with us, in us, individually. You're in us as a church family. And so, Holy Spirit, would you strengthen us today? Help us to believe your promises. Help us to look around at all of the in hardships, in calamities, in troubles, in persecutions, in riots, in beatings, and yet see you standing out. And by your great power, would you give us great endurance? And would you do it all for your glory? 
In Jesus' name, amen.